Welcome to PIP Podcast number 30. Today, Robin chats with Victor Stephenson, author of Fire Country, on the fascinating topic of Aboriginal fire management. Victor is an Indigenous Australian writer, musician, filmmaker and consultant of the Tukluk people of Northern Queensland. In the podcast, he shares his journey, learning the traditional skills of fire management from elders as a young man, and the importance of listening to traditional knowledge holders to holistically care for our landscapes. We hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. Welcome to the PIP podcast. Today I'm talking with Victor Stephenson, Indigenous writer, filmmaker, musician and consultant applying traditional knowledge values in a contemporary context. He's a descendant of the Takalak people from the Gulf country of North, Northern Queensland. He's also the author of Fire Country, How Indigenous Fire Manage- Management Could Help Save Australia. So, hey, Victor, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, how's it going? Good. So, well done on the book. It's release in February just, you know, it's the, these massive fires on the, down the east coast were still out of control but kind of coming to an end was very timely. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the recent fires were so horrific and so devastating for so many people and affected, it affected so much of the land and the animals and the people and the communities and I think everyone's sort of realising that we need to do things differently and maybe we don't have that knowledge in the white world of just trying things out and maybe we need to be looking back to those tradition, the traditional knowledge that has been there for thousands of years. Um, could you explain what that Indigenous fire knowledge is and how it works and how we can sort of start using that instead of the current practices that we're using? Well, firstly, it's, you know, it's not as simple of just like, oh, yeah, this is how you burn and then go and burn, you know. There's, there's so much more involved and so much more values involved mm. um, just looking over the country with fire but the way that we connect with the landscapes and the way that we respect each other and it's it leads into how we look after each individual uh, resource on the land, land plant and animal mm. um, it's very holistic and you know when you look at something as simple as fire management you know and just like oh go and burn country how do you do it you know but yeah. it's there's so many reasons, and um, you know, and and there's so many um, you know ways that it connects to other categories of knowledge and other opportunities, and um, it connects to culture and connects to you know um, well-being as well and mm. health. Mm. There's much that it that it considers and that is connected to, and it's the same with water. It's the same with um, other resources uh, and you know the animals and whatever you you may think of you know mm. plant all those resources are connected to us and our well-being and you know the fire is something that is um, the fire is um, is one of the elements you know mm. like wind fire water the cosmos and when we look at the fire it is something that is so important right across the board for everything it's like one of the important um, elements that we need to regulate and manage um, as, alongside our waters and our earth and everything like that. And when we look at our elements, um, they are key components that we need to regulate and manage and understand how not only how we manage them to keep them um, so that they're not um, turning around and biting us, mm. but manage them in a way where we use them as tools and we see their values in our everyday lives and how they how that fits into the holistic approach of community and environment. Mm. That's where I think where we're at and where this is leading us. And when you look at the fires came last summer, massive fires. Mm. Uh, COVID stuff started and it's all these messages that are coming out that, you know, that we need change and and we're going through a changing point. And I think um, human, humans are learning a lot of important lessons. Mm. That's how I feel at the moment after all what's been happening. Um, 
I think has been a reset in a lot of people's minds and thinking. And that's where Indigenous knowledge is really important because when we go back a cycle and go back in time, we get to see um, ancient knowledge systems that's so complex and so connected to landscapes such as the Australian Aboriginal knowledge mm. and many Indigenous knowledges around the world that had thousands of years to connect with landscapes and to um, go around that cycle of, of finding that groove with natural law and finding that groove of living with um, this planet and and ultimately finding our responsibility that's connected to this planet and where we fit in as part of Mother Nature. Mm. And uh, that is such an intelligent source for a human being, you know, and humankind. And when we look at where we are now in our time, we people see us as, oh, you know, we're doing all this great stuff. We're inventing rocket ships. We're going to the moon and, you know, we're creating, you know, computers and technology and you know, social media and all this stuff is happening. But, you know, we've seen to have left the ground mm. in a sense of our true intelligence, our true connection to the country. Mm. And feel that um, that's a, a main ingredient for our ongoing existence. Um, yeah. as well um, all the other intelligence that, um, you know, areas of intelligence that humans bring. And so Indigenous knowledge has that opportunity um, to um, be that memory, if you like, in time, mm. for him to actually um, show that memory. And it's always been there, sitting the Aboriginal knowledge and Aboriginal people and Indigenous people saying, you know, we need to get this happening, we need to look after the land, we need to do this. And that's coming from experience of mm. intelligence of people of a humankind thousands of years ago and a knowledge system that's been developed over that much time mm. and yet um now we're in a direction of um we, we need that we need that connection yeah. we need ability to connect with each other and they're the basic human values of our responsibility to landscapes and our connection to each other and this planet and our cultures that um that seem to be a vital part in um, dealing with the changes into the future Mm. So your, the way you learnt a lot of this knowledge, could you tell me about that? Your, I mean, you've written about it in your book and it's just beautiful to read. I'd love you to share some of that with us. Yeah. The way that I learnt, do you mean? Yeah, like you're meeting Poppy and TG and going out onto country with them and just that it wasn't them sitting down going, right, this is how you do it. It was you living with them and going out with them and just experiencing it and over a long period of time and, yeah, just yeah, well, describe maybe going on to country and what that was like with them and what you learnt. Yeah. Well, that was me as a young person, um, you know, young teen, you know, yeah. late teen, sorry, as a teenager and, you know, wanting to learn and that's something... Um, that I was really keen to learn because of my um, Aboriginal uh, Aboriginality mm. through my mother's um, mob, yeah. and you know, and having that um, that link to country and living in this country, and you know, of course, you're gonna want to know about your um, heritage and you want to know about this land if you're a part of this land somewhere, and that was something that I was really interested in, and you know, no matter what you're interested in, you need mentors. Mm. My mentors, you know, were many mentors actually, but Poppy and TG were um, the two most important ones for me. Um, they guided me, um, you know, um, through those years. And you know, the first ten years, I was just living with the old people and you know, helping the old followers with their own aspirations and working within the community. And I didn't think anything about writing or or anything like that back then. It was just awful for me to learn. Like, mm. it was inspiration. And, you know, when times when, you know, like all my friends from school and other friends that I grew up with, you know, and other young people were going out nightclubbing and yes. having the parties and stuff, and I was sitting around a fire. Yeah. Uh, listening to, you know, these old fellas and many old fellas yeah. um, right through the night. And... Um, it was um, it was a choice for me to want to learn, and I, and that's what the elders want, and that's what the old people want, and I think any old man of or woman of any culture, 
would absolutely love a young person to come up and, and learn from them and learn from their experiences and pick up where they left off and mm. uh, and share dreams and share aspirations that um, that evolve us forward as a community and as a culture, as a people. And, and that's the importance of storytelling and the importance of the Aboriginal culture of handing knowledge on and handing knowledge down to the next generations that are... And I wanted to be a part of that. Mm. And so being with the more fellas put me in that space and, you know, they put me under their wing and walking around country with them and, you know, just living the country mm. was something that was invaluable for me. And mm. that continued on, you know, like for another 10 years and working in different spaces and, um, you know, and then moving into um, doing projects and getting their doctorates and recording traditional knowledge and trying to get the fire management going. All those aspirations were led from um, at the dreams that we shared. Mm. And that was the dream for me was to revive Aboriginal knowledge because through my um, grandmother's side and mother's side, that, you know, that knowledge was lost. Yeah. Like, like language was lost. And so that I couldn't go and learn that language so when I saw all uh, them old men, Kukataipan men, I I saw that knowledge sitting within two people left. Mm. You know, I wasn't going to let that go. I wasn't going to let that just go to the grave and be forgotten. And and then we're here, you know. And I, I was thinking this back right back then when I was eighteen. You know, and what about the future when everyone needs this stuff and it's mm. not around? <laughs> so yeah. I was thinking questions and I was looking at all the young people too and I was going you know like oh no one's not picking this up and they're not learning from these old fellows and mm. so I you really, recorded a lot of that knowledge so I, yeah I started to record it and but most of it was all yeah recorded inside here and that was um the way it's supposed to be recorded you know, passing it on, and, and that's what I aim to do into the future and why we do the workshops and help communities revive their knowledge. It's about passing knowledge on from people to people. And, um, you know, and for me using the camera back then, it was about giving them all, recording them more people and um, and having that footage for the families of the future and, um, and actually having a lot of information, you know, recorded by them. Um, so that in the future, when people looked at um, the work I'm doing or the grandchildren in the future, they can go back to that resource mm. as well. Look, you know, and they can actually, they can be a point of reference mm. of using that knowledge. And, and are people just, looking for that? Are they looking to your recordings and? Yeah, I mean, people? all those, all those recordings, uh, you know, like they're all belong to the family. You know, mm. yeah. so we don't do things the Western way of, of IP where the yeah. person should camera owns the footage. That's not right. Yeah. And mom, it's, that footage belongs to the families and, mm. and it's up to them how they share that and, um, and how that is, you know, across the world. And, um, and I think the best way that has been shared is just sharing their story and, you mm. know, the written stuff on Australian story, those old fellas, you know, that was their night yeah. on Australia and, you know, it was all about them and that's what it, um, you know, I wanted it to be. And yeah. they're the celebrations and they're the, you know, they're the, the great things that we want to share and that is just the fact of what they've done there, you know. But we don't need to really opening up all the information that they've recorded because that's that's really is um, up to the families to decide. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's sort of that moment where you need to be ready to hear it too. Is that part of it? Like you actually yeah. have to be going and looking for it and be in that space where you're ready to take that knowledge on. Yeah, well, everything has its its time and everything um, happens the right way and mm. let things unfold the way it should be unfolded. And, you know, those old fellas, I never ever pushed them to get out, on, out onto the media. I've never pushed their footage out there, never. And it always is a timely thing. And that's where the Australian story came up. It was a timely moment. The families wanted to share these old followers, 
work and their, you know and you know and I wanted um, them acknowledged through the work that is happening today you know all over the place and mm. the community's inspired and you know there's so many communities around Australia that have a big respect for them um, even even if they haven't met them you know yeah. and even if they've only learned about their existence after they've passed um, they've left an icon and um, you know and that's so so great to, to celebrate and I'm just really proud that um, that it's come to that point with them mm-hmm. and that I was a part of it yeah that people are valuing that knowledge and and that that yeah. knowledge wasn't lost yeah and their story and just their characters and mm. just and, um, you know so could you ex- describe like what it was like going out on country with them like describe a trip where you know perhaps maybe the first time that you really started to understand what it was that they were doing and their knowledge, the, the breadth of their knowledge? Um, they had a dream, you know, and, you know, for the Mulfellas, their dream was pretty simple, to get their knowledge back on landscape, to look after the land and to get the children engaged. Yeah. That's that's what they wanted, and they lived and breathed that every day. And every day, if we got the chance, it would be out on country, and um, there wasn't anything more important than exercising that knowledge, applying that knowledge, and um, passing on that knowledge. So what sort of things, when you say exercising and applying, what does that mean? Well, we're always practical. Yeah. And the practice, you know. We're always practising um, the practices and applying the fraction and doing the doing yeah. and we never ever talked about something and didn't do it and yeah. if we looked at a plant and it says well that's good for sores and yeah. you know really bad infections we'll go pull it out and we'll prepare it and we'll find one little boy in the community who's got an infection and turn yeah. the toe or something and try and fix it up yeah. and so we did everything like that like, it was always being practical and that is the most important um, part of, of transferring knowledge. Yeah, in so, the book you talk about the word praction, which you just used there. Can you explain that? Well, you know, obviously that's the word that, that was what the old man used to say to me when he, he taught me something. So he would say, you have the praction, you know. And... It just came to be that word was always said to me, praction, praction, Victor, praction. Um, then you'll, you'll, you know, you'll get it. And so the praction was always based on, on, on um, doing an activity that is connected to landscape, or doing an activity that is holistically connected to culture, landscape, connected to everything. And and even if you took something. Um, by applying that practice, you always gave something back, um, you know. Mm. So, always, um, what I was taught to practice was the practice of indigenous knowledge, and everything was based on caring, on on sharing, on and on looking after the country and to um, benefiting everything on the landscape mm. and. So when we look at an action that benefits everything on the landscape um, and, is a, and is in that groove of natural law, mm. that's um, something special. Yeah. And so we call what do we call that? Or So the praction. Yeah, practice so became, Yeah, and so for me it was just that, it was that teaching and that learning and that application that uh, over all my years of learning and applying and also teaching, are the people that led down the road, well, we'll call it praction. Yeah. Because that's the way it is. And and it was what I was taught by the old man that that um, first gave that word to me. Mm. And that's a way to recognise what he taught me. Um, and also to recognise a practice that is good for the environment and good for um, our culture and, and is a sustainable um, action. Mm. And you can't go out there and rip the trees out of the ground and call it praction. 
that's yeah. not man. So anything outside of not being good for country is not fraction. Mm. And so it's not a um, an, uh, an action that we do to the with the landscape that is in line with natural law. Mm. That's where fraction had a stronger meaning. And um, so we're doing the fraction. We know that we're doing the good thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and um, the action is in there too. Yeah. So it was. It's the indigenous teaching methodology. Yeah. And it, it's how knowledge has been shared and taught for thousands of years, and that is through um, practical engagement and practical application and teaching. Mm. Uh, and it's done in a way where you're learning and you're doing your training, but you're doing the job as well, and, not, um, yeah. and everything, everything's moving together. Yeah. And that is uh, really important, and it's those values that... Um, that I continue to bring into um, the training and the fire programs today and and trying to support communities abroad. Mm. So with that learning, that knowledge, and I mean, it really it comes from you know, being in touch with your country or being in touch with the landscape around you and not just going in and going, right, this is it, it's like, you talk about it's, you need to be in there all, all the time, every day, observing and how can, I mean, in permaculture we talk about, you know, reading the landscape and how can we sort of start to learn some of those things and get some of those, that knowledge and understanding mm. if we don't necessarily have access to an elder to learn from? Yeah, that's right, and that's that's why we're um, we're in a stage where we have to regather ourselves and mm. reapply um, new processes, and we need to look at um, massive ways of of change and and the way that uh, we think. And for me, it's about um, the first steps is reviving that knowledge, and it's. It's not. It's not lost. Mm-hmm. And everywhere across the country here, and you know, there's a larger proportion of it in, in one place, and there's bits and pieces of it scattered all over the place. Mm. When we look at um, the mentoring process, or a community mentor community, um, and we start to bring all the different um, places where this knowledge existed and exists. Um, and bring that together and start a sharing process, we start to rebuild a lot of that um, that knowledge. And mm. to, um, we work with communities in a way like they'll go, oh, we know that's a gum tree and we know that's a stringy bark tree and we know this all this information, we know trees. But then you start showing these other indicators, they get it straight away and mm. it's on country. And so the most exciting part of all of this for me is, is, is not the fire. Mm. The most exciting part for me is is rebuilding knowledge from landscapes, mm. and with that by sharing indicators through the landscape, because it's the country that holds all that knowledge. Yeah. That's that's the archive. Yeah, it's all sitting there, and if you don't know what you're looking for, then you're never going to re- revive it or find it. Yeah, science tries to work it out by by doing tests and trial and error on certain things, certain leads, but for Indigenous knowledge, it's already a whole holistic knowledge system and it's already been practiced for thousands of years and it's sitting there ready mm. to just um, reactivate it again. Mm. It's knowledge that is true knowledge and 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 and, and the way that we um, clarify that knowledge and show that it is true is through the responses um, of the landscape and through the connection to the stories and how it's connected to language and, mm. and when these things connect up like language and stories and then the fire behaves supposed to behave and the animals come back and the plants come back and the weeds disappear mm. like all things um, all line up to revive true knowledge yeah. and the landscape and that's a practice that Indigenous knowledge um, can can do, and it's a practice that Western science can't do really well, mm. because Western science is a young knowledge system, and so 
you can't go by old people telling stories about what the country used to look like and old practices of managing landscapes that are based on knowledge systems that have been connected to landscapes for thousands of years. I mean, all that information, you know, just alone on the different soil types and the different fires and different soils and trees, that's that's complex science, you know. That's mm. knowledge and indigenous knowledge system. Um, and that's what my mentors and especially um, Poppy George was was really, really um, um, good at. He was... I've never met, any, met anyone like that old man who could mm. speak the science of the soils and and tell me what would grow at different times of year when you apply that fire from the different heat and temperatures and why it was good and why it was bad in certain in certain applications and you know that is thousands of years of trial and error yeah. and that is what the indigenous knowledge has um, and that's where the benefits of us doing, get out there, start the action, start looking after the country while we're reviving and training and rebuilding knowledge and it all moves together. Mm. It's thing that, oh, we're going to do the research for 50 years and before yeah. we have action. Yeah, just get but, out on the country and start. Sure. You know, we don't have time in, um, to try and work things out. Yeah. And it's so silly that we would, people wouldn't listen to people with experience of the past and mm. and it's even more mind-blowing that you know that um you know the western sort of you know when they colonized australia and their influence in australia over the last 200 years and in other countries um have totally disregarded this knowledge mm. um not even knowing that this is their future yeah you know? now they're looking for it yeah um, so, and are and you that, finding that there are people that people are actually reaching out now? Yeah, not just but, communities, well, but government. That, are they reaching out to you? But before that question, um, the fact that uh, well, is looking for that knowledge now, and they didn't value it back then. That only just um, that tells you that it is a young knowledge system and yeah. the Western is very young and it's like it's a comparison of a young person um, not listening to the older person mm. like the parent will go oh to their son oh you listen <laughs> don't go out there and do that and he'll go hey, don't tell me I know what I'm doing <laughs> yeah and, and you'll find comparisons and similarities in in different um, s- scales mm. um, and that are all the same and as that is um you know, the same with everything. That is a holistic way of looking at the world and how we all related, um, you know, in that way. Mm. But as you um, went on to talk about was, um, you know, those, are they listening and are they becoming more aware? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, they are. And, you know, when we first started, like if you look read into fire country, we're all flat out getting... You know, we talk about getting fire, and I'm like, no, you know, and it was like yeah. totally no way in the world. And they weren't listening to Aboriginal people, and still, you know, that we struggled. But back then, it was it was even more of a struggle. Mm. And so coming from them days and doing workshops and Indigenous workshops, no, no white fellows would turn up. Mm. Our first workshops were just all Aboriginal people. Mm. And it took a it took what really changed was was um, people coming and having the experience and then going back home again. So someone would come from New South Wales or Victoria or some other part of the country, come up north, and they would come out on country and do a workshop with us, and we would burn country with them and show them, and then they'd go back and they'll talk about it and say, "Oh, you know, we need to do down here." And mm. so it was basically. Just from continually doing workshops and sharing knowledge, yeah, that's what got it out there and started to get the attention of non-Indigenous people. Mm. So we pastoralists turning up and um, you know rural fire services and fire agencies, national parks, you know, um, government—not really government, but uh, people who work in a lower level of government. Yeah, you know? government agencies. Haven't had a policy. 
not even interested. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just about everyone, every walk of life now in this country is interested, and in now even educators, school teachers, mm. uh, research scientists. Um, so now we do a workshop, and they're all there. And when we talk about, you know, and it got to the point where the fires down south were continually going on and on and on, and you know, every year we get a bad fire and we mm. watch it on television. And, and then um, and it got to the point now where there's a real bad fire. People are saying, well, wow, we're listening to Indigenous knowledge. You know? Yeah. So that awareness is out there and it's been a mixture of all the groundwork that communities have done all over the country and trying to activate this knowledge again and educate mm. that to the communities. It's also been um, based on us doing the burns. We've burnt all over the country. So many burns, I can't tell mm. you fires that we've done and and how many thousands and thousands of people that have attended those burns overall um, that have um, gone away. And and then we look at, um, um, you know, our country and the country and when it raises its voice through these catastrophic fires. And when, over time, over the last 20 years, and, um, you know, it's all built up to the point where people go, we need change. Yeah. Uh, we need to to do things differently and that means not just focusing on Aboriginal people it means decolonizing our whole society <laughs> mm, yeah. because we can't do it one we can't one person can't do it on their own no and one group um it's a massive country um but to do that we need to be able to um re construct the way we think yeah. and we need to open our mind um, we need to um, look at fresh new ways and we need to work together mm. which is probably one of the hard people have found in the past mm. um, but so the main thing for me is trying to make that easier and trying to show how that's possible so it's not the application of fire that is taken a lot you know that's one p big part of it but the other side of it um, is educating uh, the agencies and yeah. non-Indigenous people and how they are actually a part of it and how they are a crucial part of it and, and they have a role to play. Mm. So what's your... <coughs> you've been working on these projects. What's your vision for how you can sort of roll this out and get this implemented in as many places as possible? Oh, well, it's all through um, communities themselves so yeah. it's up to the regions and communities and people black white within their own places to kick off and start their own programs yeah and what we're trying to do through fire sticks um is to try and support them through that process mm. so um not to become an umbrella or not to become the driver but simply um a support mechanism for the communities to drive it themselves yeah and um and and get the agencies in those regions and abroad to understand how they can support that too. And so that we're all celebrating um, the same successes mm. and we're all bringing um, our energy into the same, uh, you know, putting our wind behind the backs of what's working. Mm. And um, that's what's going to um, make change, but that's what's also going to um, give the capacity to build knowledge and to do the steps needed um, to get to the point where this knowledge is well shared within our society, mm. um, looking after landscapes of sharing this knowledge and acknowledging that knowledge and um, moving forward in a way that um, we're, um, you know, we're, we're um, taking on the challenges of climate change and in a way that is exciting mm. and in a way um, showing that we're, um, we're doing well and we're overcoming rather than... Um, what we're hearing at the moment with um, doom and gloom and yeah. well, you can't stop the fires and mm. uh, all um, really shallow-minded views and um, op opinions that um, don't really get us anywhere. You know? mm. So is it kind of reaching out to your local traditional owners of the land to ask them for guidance and to get them to lead it if you were interested in... It's about the, the local indigenous people, owners, and even historical knowledge holders mm. um, 
put their hand up and say, hey, we want to get this going in our country. Yeah. <laughs> the minute one says, hey, we want it happening here, then that's the first ingredient of success. Yeah. I mean, you can't go around, oh, you should do this and tell people what to do. I mean, yeah. that's, that doesn't work that way. Yeah. But, but what we can do is activate um, activities that we all share and activate responsibilities that we share mm-hmm. and um, that are based on the shared knowledge realm and that is based on our basic um, well-being and, and that keeps us all activated. And, you know, when we, we need to be looking at activating something that everyone, everyone wants to be a part of and mm. everyone contribute to. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't go back to the old way of looking at it, but we're doing this and what are you? You're doing that. No, no, you, we don't want you to know what we're doing this ourselves. Mm. Business is how we um, evolve culture. Mm. Sharing the knowledge. Sharing knowledge. But, you know, we're not talking about sharing sensitive knowledge. Yeah. Like language and like stories and special medicines. And, you know, we're talking about shared knowledge. Mm. Look after the country. Mm. You got a wildfire. You got to start burning it. You know, yeah. look at where it's all dirty. You got to put more trees. Stop chopping the trees down. Yeah. Brush your teeth, otherwise your teeth will fall out. <laughs> you know that is a shared knowledge realm. Yeah. That is, is that is our fundamental baseline mm. that we all share. That is our well-being, and and that is the most important knowledge because without that we become sick. Yeah. And that's what seems to happen. And in the past, with knowledge in Australia, people would have been talking about knowledge. 20 years ago, when I was doing knowledge recording, they're like, oh, oh is, are you sure that's okay? You know, yeah. they're all about, oh, you know, well, you know it's sacred knowledge. And so there's two levels of knowledge. Yeah. So it's more like common sense. Well, mm. what was once common sense, but is less common. Yeah, and from the shared knowledge platform, Yeah. Is, um, that is... Um, where that's the most important platform of evolving culture and, and, and being inclusive with different peoples into one mm-hmm. place. And if we can work on the shared knowledge, we're going to develop a lot of respect, a lot of relationships, um, and and allow processes of um, getting things done uh, more in harmony. Mm. Mm. So apart from fire, what else do we need to be thinking about and looking at as far as having that full understanding of the landscape that will not only keep it healthier but will also help reduce fires. Yeah, well, so we know that getting the health back of the landscape is, is going to be a massive job. Mm. I mean, stopping the wildfires is a massive job. Yeah. It's going to be a long term and it's not going to be something that's tried for the next year or five years and then people go oh that didn't work Mm. it's going to be ongoing for a long time and what's going to be really important for people to understand is the expectations and expectations of on many levels expectations on sharing knowledge and having everyone there expectations on limiting the fires expectations on how much smoke we're going to endure now Mm. in our um, areas and how much time it takes to heal certain sicknesses in the landscape. Expectations around how, um, you know, the younger generations will fall into these into the future, you know. Like it's all based on people understanding those expectations and that's going to be the most important part. Mm. So that people have patience. Mm. There's a lot of work to do. Mm. that's probably the most important information I would tell everyone at this stage right across the world is that we need to be in tune with what we need to be doing and we need to um, expect a lot of challenges along the way and we need to expect that it's going to take time and we also got to understand that we're doing this for the future generations down the track that are going to improve this. So we are just the start. Mm. We see a lot of benefits that in our lifetime, but yet we'll see a lot of wins and benefits for us to celebrate as well in our lifetime, mm. in the short term. But in the long term, what we are 
now in our generation, we like well, what I would like to see our generation as is the turning point, mm. a turning point of humanity getting even more intelligent and moving into a point where not only intelligent with um, you know all the technology, but intelligent also with how they um, evolve everything um, in tune with natural law and with the world and and be a part of the landscape and you know mm. become become that amazing people in the future and I can just vision that mm. you know it will be like mm. in 100 years or 200 years or 500 amazing. if they we, we start doing this now yeah it's a beautiful race yeah yeah it's a big one isn't it how do we get everyone to wake up and start yeah connecting with the landscape but we all know what happens if everyone knows the story what happens if we don't don't do the right thing yeah, we've seen that. Yeah, yeah, we, there's lots of movies about it. Yeah, <laughs> apocalyptic. But, yeah, I mean, even this um, time recently with the pandemic, um, you know, everyone being forced to stop. I mean, you said before we had this conversation that you've had this time to stop. And, I mean, for some people, some people are busier. But that's also maybe giving us the opportunity to stop and rethink. So we've had the fires it sort of seemed at the time like that should be enough for people to understand we've got to change. But then followed up by this, it's like, okay, everyone's just got to stop. Now we need to start thinking about we can start afresh. We can start in a new way of doing things. Yeah. I think um, we need lots of constant reminders. Yeah. Because... You know, you think about the fires, you know, after the fires go, you know, all this stuff happens and, and then the fire goes and then people forget. Yeah. And then, and, but I think, um, I think it's starting to stick in their memories a little bit now. And I think mm. I'm hearing people talking about the wildfires and following on a lot stronger than the last ones. And, mm. you know, it's, it's good, but I just hope that it, keeps going and it snowballs and it just doesn't go bam and then everyone forgets about it again until oh, next no. time it happens. Yeah. And it's keeping that momentum Yeah. Uh, going. It's really important. Yeah. And ha- how, do you think we, how do you think we do that? Well, we just keep on going. We keep, we keep doing the, the, the projects. We keep um, activating, you, you know, we, we've got to try the new things. We can't go back to the same old way, mm. you know. Mm. We can't put steroids on the same old way and hope that it takes the problem away. Mm. I mean, the, the same mm. old way, we need a new way, you know, based on old ways, but we need new ways. But Yeah. Um, and I think people have got, have got that. I think a lot of um, philanthropist groups and government groups and um, just – Groups that are that really care and want to do something in the world of change. Mm. I think they're starting mm. to see that now. And I also, and I say that because I'm starting to find a lot of them listening and wanting to work together rather than run off in their own directions and yeah. get excited, take off and go, oh, well, it's all about this. And then they run off, well, we're going to be the first ones to do that. And we're going to be doing this fire management in Australia. And yeah. And then they soon find themselves falling over and no one working with them or on their own. And, mm. um, so I think, again, if we're being collective and we're getting everyone working together and, and, and restructuring our ways in a way that we're always reminded, we're always reminded of how important what we're doing is mm. and we're all reminded of where, what our work does and, and what it benefits and mm. where it fits and and even reminding ourselves, you know, in our personal lives as well, like um, who we are and personally and, you know, not taking too much fish from the river and mm. um, leaving some behind and, and contributing. Like everyone has a way to contribute. And, um, and I think just being educated is a way of contributing. Mm. Yeah. And that's why I wrote Fire Country because... I wanted um, people to see. I wanted to give them a lens to see, hey, 
this is about all of this. Mm. And exciting, and there's so much beautifulness. Yeah. Uh, and um, and it gets, gets people thinking, and it makes them think about themselves. And that's probably the most powerful thing you can ever do as an artist is to produce work that gets people to think about themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very powerful book, and I know everyone I've spoken to who has read it has been really affected by it and loved it. So you've done that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, getting yeah. back to the sort of fire side of it, I, I was wondering if you could sort of explain to people the difference between the traditional style of burning and the burn that might happen when you, I don't know, the local parks kind of does a burn and how the indigenous style of burning actually reinvigorates the landscape. Yeah, well, that's probably the most frequent asked question. <laughs> of difference. And it's probably the most frequent source of defence from a lot of um, uh, Western fire managers. Yeah. Oh, well, it's no different to Aboriginal burning. We're doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's look, there's so much difference, and you know, I've said this so many times. Um, why it's so different to Western burning? It's not just getting out there and burning hazard reduction. You know, mm. we're thinking about so much more, so many layers of why we're applying that fire, and it, it goes right to the point where um, caring and uh, you know, and the land knows you're caring for it, mm. and. The custodian looking after the land and the custodian understanding the land and burning the land in a way that, that it looks so beautiful and it does so much good for the land and mm. it feels good for the person applying that fire. Um, that is an energy and a connection to landscapes that the land loves. Mm. You know, we don't want someone to turn up with, you know, dressed in a spacesuit and fire truck and, you know, torching the, the hell out of it and running drip torches all over it and just burning it to get get it done quickly and mm. regard for the insects. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we, we wait, we burn in a way that protect as little as small as insects, they get away. Mm. And that's such a life of that connects to the food sources of all the birds and all the other animals. And there's so, you know, all that holistic connectedness, you know, and mm. it's, look, you, to, for anyone to think that has a reduction is no different to indigenous burning, they really haven't got a clue. Mm. And I say that, I say that with full respects um, to the fact that they don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it's it's just you know, like for example, I was out burning um, last week, and I've been burning the whole time through the pandemic, um, yeah. and no one else been. All the other agencies, they have been all, all the doors are shut, mm. all the fire agencies, you know, and maybe just one national park ranger I know have been trying to put fires in um, that we're working with and um, sort of have relations with. But, you know, one part, one some of that country I was burning there, it hadn't been burned for so long and it was full of introduced grasses and, and, and I was burning it at a time where it wouldn't burn um, if it was healthy. Because the only reason why I was burning because there's so much rubbish in there. But I chose to burn it at a certain time to burn in layers. So I went back and I burnt that place in the last three months. In the last two months, I've applied fire on some of those landscapes three times. Mm. Went back and, and burned again. And I went back and walked through the country and burned again little bits and pieces. And that's scary. <laughs> and that's time to go back and 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 treat that country. It's like a doctor, mm. and you you got to spend time on the land to get it looking good. You can't just rock up and and torch it and go. Oh, the fuel's gone. That's great. Let's come back in another couple of years or three years. Mm. And, and we don't look at it in a in a Western science way of uh, we burn it every seven years or mm. um, um, this plant doesn't flower and all this sort of stuff. No, it's it's very detailed, and just like permaculture, you know, it is permaculture in a way. It, mm. It's you're caring and you're doing different applications to enhance the health and enhance the, the food and enhance the plants and mm. and 
bring give all that and in for the animals and to you know encourage the animal life to um, to populate and to be healthier. I mean, it's it's all fit in with um, a very complex knowledge. Mm. And the more that we um, and that's when all that lines up and you understand all that, that's what gives you that real feeling good, you know. Mm. And, and when you know, workshops and they see the fires and they learn this and they see the indicators and actually see what we're saying to them is is indicated in the landscapes and they, mm. they can read through the in the landscapes then oh man it changes their life you know yeah. they start good and and that's a healing and um, that's something that um, changes people and and that's what people need and if we just go to hazard reductions and the way that they have been doing it then we're going to miss out on all that mm. we're going to miss all the in-depth knowledge we're going to miss out on all those layers miss out on the education in the schools we're going to miss out on so much yeah. If we just go back to that same, oh, you're no different to us, and oh, you know, it just has a reduction, you just got to apply the fire more often. Mm. Uh, like I was saying, they always haven't worked, and mm. not just with the fires, but it has with many on many levels. Mm. Um, the right is in our communities, and also um, with opportunities for our children of the future. Um, it hasn't influenced anything um, that is around. Supporting cultural views or supporting all systems, it hasn't um, acknowledged First Nations people in the right way. Um, it has not respected this land. Mm. So you wonder why we're in all this trouble, and why we have so much problem. Um, well, it's because the old ways haven't worked, mm. and we need to change the status quo, and that is to move forward in a, in a new direction. And that's why it's so important that, um, you know, we see ourselves as a turning point and that this is really about the younger generations carrying on this knowledge and, and um, yeah, moving in a direction that is um, a lot more beneficial. Mm. Yeah, it's just hearing you speak, I have an emotional <laughs> response to it. So I can imagine, and reading your book too, I can just, yeah, that, when you actually start to experience the landscape rather than just look at it. Yeah. It's just production. Yeah. That's the way you got to look at it because, you know, that's why it says in fire country, you know, like it's not just about fire. This is not just about fire. Yeah. This is about more. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. And that's the exciting thing about it. Mm. When... You know, Mother Nature's in tune with that process too. That's why she's doing all this stuff. Mm. She's you know, she's trying to yell out to everyone, you know, you got to change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's been yelling pretty loudly and then, lately. Yeah, and then and, and, and she yells out to the, the top of her voice and who should come out and actually be out in the open after that is all knowledge systems all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's actually the people that, that point the finger at it. Mm. White, black, brindle, brown. And mm. Look at the, social, the media and the way it went on social media. Like People are saying, well, why are we doing that visual burning? Everyone's mm. pointing. Mother Nature yelled out and everyone's pointing and, and up and knowledge that comes from the landscape. And so, you know, if you can't, if you want to learn how to read the country, well, there you go, read those signs. Yeah. They're, they're, they're easy That's the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what would you say to people who are wanting, who are listening to your words and they're wanting to get involved somehow and they want to learn more and help this healing? What, what advice can you give them? Ah, the advice I can give them is to, um, well, firstly, don't send me all the emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the advice is... Um, is to reach out for your local community mm. and see what's going on because there's uh, most people that are sending me messages. I say to them, "Hey, there's already community doing stuff in your area." Yeah. Um, and I point, and they go, "Oh, really? We didn't know that." <laughs> and yeah. so I'll give them the phone number, and then they'd ring, and then all of a sudden they're trying to help their own little yeah. local ranger, or people are trying to work together, and or saying, "Oh, I've got private property you can burn and look after." 
Yeah. Um, you know, just educating yourself. If you if you don't feel that you don't have any property or you feel that you, you can't help or you're busy with your everyday job and you've got a big family and you want to say, well, how do I help? Well, it's just simply being aware and simply, simply um, you know, um, um, being educated of this whole process, you know, and um, going to your local schools and just, you know, they, they should be sharing a lot of this knowledge in schools and, mm. you know, people can help in so many ways, you know. There's... There's so much that people can do. And like I said before, um, it really is, it all boils down to being aware. That's the first step because just the fact that someone's aware is, is supporting the process. Mm. Um, and not someone's like, oh, there are black fellas out there doing firemen. And, oh, I don't know about that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, they shouldn't be doing that. But they haven't. They don't even know why they're saying that because they're not even educated on what's going on. Mm. And so just being aware, and I think, and that's why I've been really focusing on the education side because I just want people to understand so that they're not complaining. And, yeah. And and actually not contributing by being negative. Mm. And um, that's a real basic um, way to be inclusive of everyone. Yeah. But when we look at people who really want to get down there, um, get into your local areas and communities, and and get the, and if it hasn't started, there's a lot of communities that are getting the process started and helping to get the ball rolling. Mm. Uh, and a lot of private landholders are offering their land to a lot of regions and saying, "Can you burn on our country?" And we help them look after their land and teach them how to manage their own land. And at the same time, we train rangers or do a public workshop there and and mm. and educate people in that region and. And it's all based on involving everyone. Um, and I think, you know, like I said before, that's the most important part of success is getting everyone supporting each other and everyone on the same page. And and that means um, we're sharing culture and evolving culture. Mm. And I think a great thing everyone could do would be to read your book. Uh, I think that's in the book it just really describes... The process and you talk about the indicators and being able to I mean obviously it's not something you just say to people okay go out and when that tree looks like this obviously there's so much more and that's kind of what you learn and what people learn through practice as you called it so yeah um, anyone listening read fire country how indigenous fire management could help save Australia grab a copy because it's really it will really give you an understanding and a feeling of what Victor's talking about. Yeah. And, you know, it's not all in there, obviously. Obviously, never... yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a taster. Quite, it's a very, it's a, it's a very um, big contribution, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's more work to do. And, um, and, you know, my focus in the next five to ten years or more, or, well, you know, for the rest of my time anyway, yeah. will, um, will be based on... Um, bridging that knowledge and how that knowledge is shared and its successes into the future and how it's how reviving knowledge from landscapes and just getting a lot more um, um, evidence and action and outcomes around that. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to um, working on that. But, you know, to make that successful, um, we need to get our own backyard cleaned up. The most important thing for me is just putting a lot of effort into um, you know, the programs for communities and for them to run, get the programs happening mm. and for all the agencies to, um, and the broader community to be a part of that. Awesome. Well, I'm really mm. excited to see how this goes and, yeah, obviously it's generations that it's going to take to really yeah. make it happen. But, yeah, it's so such important work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you, yeah. And don't forget when you read Fire Country... You know, and you finish reading that book. You know, look out the window into the mountains, and because um, you realise that where you're in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for thanks for sharing your knowledge, Victor. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 
You have been listening to the PIP podcast with Robin Rosenfeld and Victor Stephenson. If you want to find out more about Victor's work, grab yourself a copy of his powerful book, Fire Country. You can also read an excerpt from the book in issue 17 of PIP magazine coming in June 2020. You can subscribe to PIP magazine, explore free articles, podcasts and more at pipmagazine.com.au.